Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back to The Conversation. In today's episode, I'm going to address two questions that I've received from podcast listeners. One I'm going to do a deep dive on, and that is about subpersonalities. The other, I'm going to do a cursory introduction of it with a promise to interview an expert. I could have talked about it myself, but I thought, why not talk to an expert, interview an expert, because she lives with me. The person I'm going to interview is my wife, and she's going to answer this question. What are the best tips to effectively do a full-on quote-unquote, witchy clans of negative energy in the house in preventing it from building up again. Frequency, question mark. Getting my broom ready for a clean sweep. She also added, or how to best use your home to create a positive manifesting energy. Because our environments influence us in a number of ways. Now I responded, I'll consult my wife. She's more the witchy distance energy clearer than I am. She's actually an expert. She has her own business called Sacred Home Alchemy, and she clears up detrimental energy in homes and on land. Now, she goes deeper than that. Now, most people are familiar with a smattering of rituals and techniques and strategies to clear the energy out of the house or an abode. But my wife actually goes to the source. She identifies what the inappropriately imprinted patterns and energies are and brings them into balance. She just doesn't do a cursory removal because if you don't take care of the underlying influences, those negative energies will just come back. And so to respond to this question, I'm going to interview her for the podcast. She's going to be my first guest in 300 episodes. And that's only fitting because she is the most important person in the world to me. But not only that, she is an expert. So it's totally appropriate. So this weekend, we're going to sit down and record the episode. And I want to give you a few questions to consider so you can identify whether or not this is an episode you want to listen to. How is your house influencing how you feel? Are your children or other members of the family unnaturally irritable, uncharacteristically moody? Are you consistently or typically ill or other people in the family ill or have trouble sleeping or bad dreams? Do you tend to feel tired most of the time, unexplicably tired, drained? Are you experiencing unusual headaches or pains? Do you feel down, depressed, or angry, or even unfocused with no real apparent cause? Especially if that's out of character for you. Do you go out and run errands, feel pretty good, feel wonderful, only to come back home and become irritated, angry, depressed. Like you can feel a mood shift once you pull in the driveway or step in the door. Do you or someone you know in the house lose their temper for no good reason, no apparent reason, feeling irritable, out of control, disproportionate to the actual circumstance? Are there any cold or chilly, uncomfortable areas in your house? Are there rooms you just don't like to be in? I know a lot of people don't like to go down in the basement, especially if the house is of an older nature. Are you trying to sell your house and it's not selling? About a year and a half ago, my wife had a client show up and he had put his house on the market and it wasn't selling. It had been on the market for three months. 
Now, you might be saying three months, that's not very long at all. But in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, when he put his house down the market, the typical time a house was listed or on the market was less than a week. It was selling in less than a week. It was crazy. Houses were going up for sale and they were being sold the same day. But his house had not been selling for three months. People would come and look at it. They seemed really interested. And then they would say, eh, no, they just weren't following through. And the house was in a good neighborhood. It was appropriately priced for where it was. It was a nice house, but it wasn't selling. And so he contacted my wife. She did. She mapped it out remotely and she identified several areas in the house that needed to be addressed. Once he followed her prescriptions, the house sold in less than three weeks. So if you identify with any of the phenomena or characteristics that I mentioned, you may have a problem with detrimental energy. You may not have even considered that it could be energetically based. Most people are not aware of the energy of their house because they live there. It's familiar. And a lot of times these detrimental energies accrue over time. They build up and and before you know it, they reach a critical mass. Then they cause a problem. And then other times, these energies could be given or or put forth from geometric forces. This morning, I was talking to my wife about what we could talk about. And there's a plethora of things to talk about. A plethora in Texas terms is a whole mess of stuff we could talk about. And so it's possible that we may have a two or three episode series all around energy. You can expect the first episode to drop a week from today, next Thursday. It's definitely a conversation I'm looking forward to. In this episode, I'm going to talk about subpersonalities. This question comes from Anita. She sent me an email and wanted to know what are the characteristics, what are the symptoms of a subpersonality that's out of control, where we have an inner conflict? How do I know whether or not I actually have to address something? And so you might be asking, if you don't know, what are subpersonalities? You see, as a human being, we don't emerge from the womb with a fully developed self-concept, self-identity. It is constructed kind of haphazardly as we grow up. It's almost like building a house without a plan, without a blueprint. You're building a room here, and it's like, hey, let's we need a kitchen. And so you build one there, and as you go, the different rooms don't necessarily function together. It doesn't flow. And what happens when we develop, sometimes our personality splits off, splinters off. We develop and create different personas to handle the different events, the traumas, the experiences that we encounter as a child. But these subpersonalities are not only born or created in childhood, but also in our teen years, early 20s, and even into our 30s. Most people have or are aware that they have different parts of themselves. They'll even say it in conversation. Part of me wants to do this. Part of me wants to do this. They know that there's a split. There's a mental split or a a conflict inside procrastination and self-sabotage. Where does that come from? That comes from a subpersonality. But I've come to the belief that there is no such thing as self-sabotage. I consider that if we were created from an intelligent design, why is there a dysfunctional program in our system, something to undermine our goals and intentions? I consider self-sabotage is mislabeled. It's actually conflicting intentions a misalignment of values. I've learned over the years through my experience and my research that there are no detrimental or bad parts. They are all operating for your higher good. They are all benevolent in nature. They want nothing but the best for you. 
but they may occur as aspects of our shadow self. We've disowned parts of them. We're not proud of certain parts. There's And these subpersonalities, when they're born, they're born with a specific agenda. They have, they're almost maniacal in nature. They have one way of processing information, one pattern response. And that perspective may come from the age that they were created. So if you have a subpersonality that was created at age eight, they have the worldview of an eight-year-old. And we all know that that's not very sophisticated dealing with the, the complex issues of being an adult. But there's a childhood response responsible for a lot of our patterns. A lot of people's anger responses come from what they learned or how to respond in late childhood, ages 9, 10, 11, and even 13, 14, 15. We find in adulthood that sometimes we are actually triggered and we have an emotional response disproportionate to the actual event. I became aware of my different parts when I was in my teens. I became formally educated in subpersonalities, subpersonas or parts, when I became certified in NLP in 1988. It was there where I had my first formal integration of a subpersonality of my own. And I became sold on the process ever since. Now, I've been a coach for over 30 years, and I've worked with thousands of people in various capacities. When I've worked with people one-on-one, I've typically worked with subpersonalities on an ad hoc basis as it came up, and not necessarily as a specific discipline. But as things often happen for me, sometimes I receive a download from the universe. So late February, in the beginning of this year, I got a download in knowing that I was to write a book on subpersonalities. I actually told my wife over coffee, I'm writing a book on subpersonalities. And I'm going to set off on attracting five to ten case studies as research for my book. And as a matter of course, I've attracted a dozen people, and so far I've invested about 300 hours in research through the case studies. But I've been hearing the intuitive whisper to invite in another five to ten people to participate in the case studies before I publish my book in late October, probably mid-November. And so I'm taking this question from my podcast listener as an indicator that the universe wants me to talk about this further. So as you hear me talk about the different characteristics that point to that there is an issue with subpersonalities or a potential opportunity for integration, if you identify with any of the characteristics, phenomena, or aspects, and so consider strongly, more than likely, you are a candidate to be one of my case studies and work with me one-on-one. So you probably get the idea of what subpersonalities are. And as I go through the list of characteristics or phenomena that would indicate that there is a conflict or an inner conflict with a subpersonality, then you can begin identifying, oh, maybe that's going on inside me. So phenomena number one are inconsistent behaviors. You may notice that you have behaviors and reactions that vary significantly from different situations and you feel like different parts of you take over in different contexts. For instance, like I mentioned earlier, our anger response, you may be mild-mannered and peaceful and get along with everybody until you're crossed. And once you're crossed, it's like, oh, look out. You see, that behavior is not consistent with how you see yourself or other parts of you exist. Phenomena number two are inner conflicts. You experience an inner conflict or a, a sense of being torn between two different desires, motivations, or values. These conflicts can cause indecisiveness and confusion. For instance, you might want and really want a monogamous relationship. 
But there's another part of you that doesn't want to be tied down, that wants affections of other people, that are, is always wondering whether or not there's somebody else out there. And so while part of you really plays the part of being a committed partner, the other part of you is seeking attention outside your agreement, outside your partnership. In another instance, part of you might want to work out, get really healthy, and then part of you doesn't want to get out of bed, has all the excuses on why it's not a good idea. These are inner conflicts. Phenomenon number three, a lot of people are familiar with, that is the inner critic. There may be an inner critic or a very judgmental voice within you that is harsh and critical of certain actions and decisions. Most typically, that voice is not yours, but is the voice of a parent or some other well-meaning, quote-unquote, authority figure in your life. It's a sub-personality that has adopted the strategy of that individual in your life earlier in life with the benevolent intention of making sure that you be the best that you can be. The strategy is not very effective. It's demeaning in most cases. And so this is a subpersonality that really needs to be healed. Phenomenon number four are intense, well, not necessarily intense, but predictable or, or consistent mood swings. You may experience frequent mood swings or emotional shifts that seem unrelated to the external circumstances. These may occur in response to what some people say, certain circumstances, certain social circumstances, um, different stimuli. But you may have been identified as being moody, unpredictable. It's unpredictable because you have different opposing subpersonalities at work. Again, all wanting the best for you. Number five is self-sabotage. I talked about this earlier. And so you've labeled this self-sabotaging because you find part of yourself sabotaging your goals and undermining your progress towards positive change. Now, like I said before, it's not, it's not self-sabotage, but conflicting agendas, conflicting intentions. Most likely, there's a part of you that set a grand adventure, a grand journey ahead of you, a goal or an intention, but you didn't check in with all parts of you. And so there's part of you that feels like it's being put in danger. It's going to be uncomfortable to go for what you want, and it doesn't want you to be uncomfortable. There is a secondary gain or a positive intention underneath the behavior, and so it's a mismatch of intentions. There's a lack of alignment. How we recover that, how we heal that, is actually have a little conversation with that other part, the part that's getting in the way, so to speak, and find out what its intention is. We actually have a conversation with that part between the two different parts, and we negotiate. As we find out what the intentions of both parts are, and we drill down, what does that give you and what does that give you, and really get to the essence of the intention, we find out that both parts typically want the same thing. Want the same thing, but they have different agendas. And so because they want the same thing, we can actually introduce new behaviors, new patterns, and negotiate new options and possibilities. Now, phenomenon number six is not necessarily pervasive, but it's not uncommon either. And that is the experience of amnesia or memory gaps. How that occurs, at times you may feel like you don't remember certain actions or conversations, leading to memory gaps. It, you'll have the experience of lost time. This is especially true of narcissists. Now, you might be saying, oh, I'm not a narcissist. Well, narcissists won't agree that they're a narcissist. Is there a behavior, is there a response that is uncharacteristically different than how you see yourself. 
If sometimes after feeling like you're attacked or you have an intense argument and you think back and you can hardly remember what the argument was about or what the other person wanted, why it seems so silly we got so jacked up about everything. Now, you may not experience this yourself. You may see this in someone else you know where you might have a blowout argument or they might break a promise and it devastates you and they act like it's no big deal. There might have been a real intense discussion about it, but a day or two later, they forgot all about it. They act as if it didn't even happen. Personally, I've had people that have made agreements with me, promises to me, and then later when they were confronted on some conflicting behavior, they could not remember the original agreement. They would say things like, well, I never said that. I would never say that, but they did. I have a photographic memory for the most part, and I remember verbatim what they said, but to avoid ownership of their present behavior, they conveniently, so to speak, they forget the original agreement because the personality that I'm talking to on this end is not the personality that made the agreement. Now, as you hear me talk about this, it may sound a lot like multiple personalities, like dissociative identity disorder. It's not that extreme. All of us have subpersonalities to some degree because of how we learn and how we grow up. So while dissociative identity disorder seems extreme, it actually points to a natural phenomena that we all experience to some degree. It's just that multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder is an extreme response to typically trauma, intense trauma. And so multiple personalities and subpersonalities is the mind's natural response or attempt to maintain some sense of self and survive the long term. And that may mean calling in different aspects or different uh, personas to respond to life. Our task as a mature adult, our spiritual task, our spiritual journey, is to take the unconscious and move it into consciousness so we're consciously choosing it and ultimately arrive at an integrated whole. And that's the aim of working with subpersonalities to update different parts, to integrate them into who you are today, to some of your parts may need to disappear, or they'll morph or merge into other subpersonalities. But ultimately, we want to identify a central self, a higher self, that can be the container for all your subpersonalities. Okay, moving on. Phenomena number seven, characteristic number seven, are emotional triggers. Now, most every one of us have had the experience of someone pushing our buttons, where there's specific situations or triggers, a look, a word, an action that brings out an intense emotion or a reaction that seems disproportionate to the actual circumstance going on. And so most every time when someone has or you have a knee-jerk response, you are not responding to the present moment. You're actually responding to something that has not been handled in the past. And so if you have a predictable response in anger, a predictable way of being with other people, you are responding from past programming or a subpersonality that was developed at an earlier age. What we do is go back and heal that subpersonality, or we can actually collapse the trigger, collapse the button, so it doesn't work the same way ever again. Phenomena number eight are conflicting beliefs. You hold conflicting beliefs or attitudes that lead to contradictory thoughts or feelings about certain topics. One example of conflicting beliefs is if you want to be in really good shape, but you have a belief you don't want to work out. You have a belief you want to be really healthy, and then you have a belief everything you eat turns to fat. 
Phenomena number nine is referred to as identity shifts. You may feel like your sense of self shifts dramatically in different situations, leading to a lack of stability in your identity. For instance, with your friends and family, you may be very outgoing, very conversational, but you're in a strange or new situation, meeting someone new, and suddenly you shut down. You don't have anything to say, can't figure out anything to say. You might even have an anxiety attack. Another example is you might be the CEO of a company or manage large numbers of people, have your own business. But when you go home and you're with your parents, you revert back to a 14-year-old. Some other examples of this is, you know, when people are one way at work, a different way with their friends, and a third way with their family. Sometimes this can be problematic. One of the ways we want to put identity shifts in is understanding the certain roles that are required at different times. Sometimes law enforcement officers have a certain persona, a certain perspective that they put on when they put the badge on, put the uniform on, and they forget to take it off when they go home. And so this is one instance where it would be beneficial to have an identity shift or change roles. Once you're home, you want to be the loving parent, the loving father, not necessarily the enforcer. Now, number 10 is not one that I've experienced myself, but I have encountered it with different clients, and that is an inner conflicting dialogue. You notice inner dialogues of self-talk where different parts of you argue and disagree with each other. Sometimes these conversations are conscious and sometimes they occur underneath our conscious awareness. For instance, sometimes we have a part of us that loves and wants to trust people. And then we've had an experience with either the opposite sex or a particular genre, race of people, or then we say, I love everyone except for them. Or you've heard people say, I love humanity, but I hate people. Characteristic number 11 is typically the effect of a traumatic event what is perceived as a traumatic event, and that is dissociation. You may have experienced emotional abuse, physical abuse, and you have a persona that comes up that puts the armor on and dissociates from emotional responses. And so you may have moments where you feel as if you're disconnected from yourself. You observe your actions as if they're happening to someone else, like you're watching a movie. It's not really you. It's like you playing you. There's kind of the experience of being a spectator in your own life. Another way this may exhibit itself, that if somebody else in your presence has an extreme emotional response, you'll disconnect. They'll be having the response, it's like you're watching a crazy person. The part of you that is empathetic has turned off. Now, to a certain extent, dissociation is a very effective coping mechanism when encountering different circumstances in life. But if it's a problematic, if you feel out of touch with your feelings, if you're disconnected from the people you love or disconnected from life, then it's something you need to address in order for you to experience joy and happiness as a human being. Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. Number 12 is something that a lot of people have experienced, and that is the feeling of being out of control. You may feel like certain impulses, urges take over. An aspect of you takes over and you struggle to control them. It could be around food, around gambling, addictions, so to speak, alcohol, drugs, or even your devices or electronic video games. Another example of an over-the-top response is anorexia and bulimia. 
binging and purging. This is where a subpersonality is created that is attempting to gain control or have some control over their life and how they feel. So while body image and an attempt to maintain control over your weight may be an aspect, it's not the whole picture. Most often at the level of self-identity, there's the feeling like I don't exist, I'm not noticed, or they feel unimportant. So this is an attempt to gain attention or some type of acknowledgement. So in the context of addictive behavior, what is the pervasive feeling? You're in the experience, in the addiction, you know it's problematic, you know it's causing you problems, but part of you wants to stop, but part of you can't stop. Like you can't stop, you just don't, like you're out of control. This is because a subpersonality has taken over the system. Now, another response to this, an out-of-control response, is depression. Depression is a response of withdrawal, and it's a specific survival technique of a subpersonality. There are other patterns and behaviors that are in place that indicate there is a subpersonality at work, but these are the biggies. These are the top dozen, and many of them are commonly shared among many, many people. Like I said earlier, the ultimate goal of working with subpersonalities, just like with shadow work, and shadow, your shadow self could be considered an aspect of a subpersonality, a subpersonality that you've disowned and pushed off into the shadows. Or it may refer to shadow like behavior of, say, an anger response that is a subpersonality. I've said in an earlier episode that I didn't really understand shadow work. I didn't understand that approach. And that's because I've always had this, this view of subpersonalities. And so, like I said, I'm in the midst of writing a book on subpersonalities. I would still like to work with five to 10 people around subpersonalities and actually experience something I don't yet know or haven't yet addressed, which sitting here now, I can't even fathom what that might be, but there could be something there. Now, one of the things that I have not yet talked about that comes up for a lot of people is your sexual persona. How are you in the bedroom? Because most of us have never had the, the appropriate instruction where you're kind of thrown into it. And depending on what your initial you know, experience was, it tends to shape and inform your sexual persona. Now, one thing you may not know about me is that I have been a coach for over 30 years and I've encountered just about every situation and it seems like I've attracted an inordinate number of women that have experienced uh, trauma at the hands of men. Physical trauma, sexual trauma, emotional trauma. I'm a trauma-informed coach. And so I realize that dealing with some of these subpersonalities, some of these subpersonas, can be scary or require a certain amount of courage. I can tell you right now that I'm a safe place, but you can ascertain that from yourself. Trust your intuition on how you want to move forward. In each and every session, what we cover is directed by you. And so in listening and assessing the different characteristics, if you want to be part of one of my case studies and work with me one-on-one, then send me an email at support at daynovi.com, support at daynovi.com. Or go to yesdaniel.com and send me a message through there. The way the process works is you send me an email saying why you think you're a good candidate, and then we'll schedule a call. We'll schedule a Zoom call, and then I'll ask you a few more questions. I'll explain the process, the program, what the investment is. There is an investment. It's drastically reduced from what I normally charge for the duration of the case studies. And so for the email and the initial discovery call, there is no charge, there's no obligation, there's no commitment. So once you commit, what you can expect is filling out a thorough questionnaire. And then there's another interview where we go even deeper and I begin identifying the different subpersonalities at work. 
Then we start working the week after that. There's a series of six to 12 sessions, 60 to 90 minutes each. Most of them will happen on a weekly basis. Sometimes we'll skip a week. Sometimes we'll skip three weeks just to allow things to integrate as we're reintegrating and bringing things back into the whole. Again, this is where you have control and you dictate how fast we go. One last thing to know as you engage in the case study is I guarantee satisfaction with the results. You will have a greater sense of peace, a greater sense of joy, a greater sense of ease in your life as a result of integrating all your different parts. There's a sense of congruence and an elevation of self-esteem. In the words of one participant, it felt like a thousand pound weight was lifted off my shoulders. Well, friend, that's it for this episode. If being in the case study does not appeal to you, hopefully you're looking forward to my book, where you can explore your subpersonalities on a deeper level for yourself. Until next time, this is your friend and host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss. Live your life from inner signals. Be inner directed as you engage in the epic adventure. (laughs) 